This episode of I'm Sitting in a Room is brought to you by Afadi Music, music for film and media. If interested in commissioning a musical work, please email raul at afadimusic.com. That's R-A-U-L at A-F-A-R-I music.com. Claire Fountain, and I am sitting in a room. At the beginning of this recording, I set a timer for one hour, and until it goes off, I am not allowed to look at the timer. For the next 60 minutes, I will be talking uninterrupted. Nobody will speak to me during this hour. I may move and stand if I wish, but must stay within earshot of the microphone at all times. There are no guidelines for what I must talk about, but it is suggested I begin by describing the room around me. This is the end of my written prompt. So, uh, my cat is in the room around me. Um, She likes to help me with everything. And by help, she actually just tries to jump onto my laptop. So, that's super helpful. Um, (laughs) She's glaring at me. I'm kind of afraid she's just going to jump onto my laptop. And that's really going to not be good for me or this recording um no okay (laughs) I just have to discuss this with her okay so the room around me other than my cat who is sitting right next to my tv um I have a couple of tapestries one of them is like from earthbound and it has you know some pink elephants on it It has a nice little floral pattern, a lot of navy blues and, like, greens and stuff. Um, It's really pretty. I like it. It is right next to my bed. I also have another tapestry, which is, I guess, gold. Gold, and it's, like, a pattern. Um, I, I like it. I don't know how to describe it. Um, I have my diploma, my very expensive college diploma um hanging on the wall in a a picture frame that cost me literally ten dollars for the irony um I love that for me I have a a little side end table that I recently got um on Amazon and put it together myself because I'm a little carpenter um It has a light like built in and it has like a couple of USB ports and a little electrical outlet attached like built into it. So it's like pretty cool. Um, And that lamp is super helpful. I have a thing hanging above my bed that is one of those star charts that shows, you know, like all the constellations that were above the sky, where you were born, when you were born. Um, super into astrology. So was a great birthday gift last year from my best friend Kane. Shouts out Kane if you're listening to this. I also have some art on this other wall that is, you know, like a bunch of paintings done by some of my friends over the years. Um, a lot of it is teal and blue and green. One of them is like a Gemini style thing. Um, I have some trees. I have a painting of a fortune teller, um, which is really pretty. And then I have a bunch of show posters 
as a true theater kid does. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much my room around me. I'm having a lot of struggles with my cat right now. So she is now on my lap. Hopefully this will chill her out. Um, I also have, you know, my crystals around. Oh, I got a wall calendar that is supposed to help me be more organized and keep my life together and know when things are happening. Because a lot of the time, you know, I'm notorious for just kind of waking up and winging it, which isn't, you know, the most ideal, I would say, but <laughs> I've made it this far, you know, so there's something to be said about that. I also have a cork board that is directly behind me. It has some like Polaroid pictures and some um, printed out pictures of me and some people that I love. There's a picture of me with my mom. Um, she's my best friend. I love her a lot. So it's one of my graduation pictures. Um, and then I have some business cards from my tattoo artist, Kaylin. Um, a couple of cards, just like birthday cards and graduation cards. And then I have actually a, um, a plane ticket. So I guess that will be my first story. I'm, I'm winging this by the way. Um, I, I hope that was kind of obvious by now, but I think that's kind of the point of the whole shebang. Um, but yeah, so I have this plane ticket because, okay, here's the story. It's a pretty, pretty kooky story. Uh, I may or may not write a play or movie about it. I really should have made a documentary while it was happening. Don't know why I didn't do that, but you know, I wasn't thinking about it at the time, but so I am a sperm donor baby. So I, you know, don't know my biological father. And I got a 23andMe done because I was just curious if, you know, I wasn't like actively searching for my bio dad, but I was looking to see if, you know, maybe I had half siblings, maybe I had some aunts and uncles. Um, I wanted to see, you know, just if I was, <laughs> if I was more Irish or more French or German, which is the the main three things of my genetic makeup, um, a lot of Cork, Ireland, and French and German and London, and that's that's mostly it, honestly. Um, I think there's like broadly something else, like uh, I don't I don't know. I don't know, but that's not the point. Um, but that is why I got this 23andMe thing done. So I spit into a little tube and sent it off and they said, hey, um, you should be afraid of heights. That's another interesting thing, like the medical part of it. Um, I think I'm, I flush when I drink and I'm more likely than others to be afraid of heights and less likely than others to be afraid of public speaking, which is probably why we find ourselves here today. But anyway, so I got that fun little report and then I got connected to an aunt who was on my father's side. And she 
you know, messaged me for a while. She was like, hey, you know, um, I think that this blah, 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 blah. And then she was finally like, I think I know who your dad is. And I was like, oh, dude, that is so cool. Like, if he wants to meet me, I'm super down for that. If he doesn't, that's like not what he signed up for. So I don't blame him. And he shouldn't feel any sort of pressure to be doing, you know, meeting me or anything like that. Um, I'm not going to hold it against him if he doesn't want to. But then she just kind of stopped responding to me eventually. And I, um, oh, that was my cat jumping onto my bed. But then I, you know, she stopped messaging me. So I didn't check 23andMe for a while because I was like, I don't know, life, you know, busy living life or whatever. And then on Instagram, I got like a message request and it was from this dude. And he was like, hey, you know, like this might sound kind of weird, but I think I'm your half brother. And I was like, oh, and he was like, yeah, we connected on 23andMe, but you like never responded or something. And I was like, oh, well, that's neat. Um, <laughs> how you doing, bro? And he was like, oh, you know, I'm chilling. I think I know who our dad is. And I was like, yo, did our aunt tell you that? And she didn't tell me because I'm a little butthurt if that's the case. But it is not the case. Uh, luckily, he just is like a, I, do, I don't know, like an investigator. And so he searched through like all of the voting records in the state where he's from and he found this guy and like I don't really know it took him like 12 hours like a full 12 hour day of searching but he was like I think I found dad and I was like that is wild and he was like do you want to see pictures I was like yeah sure I mean why not and um he sent me these these pictures and in that particular picture and just in general um my father just kind of looks like Neil Patrick Harris, which is interesting because I don't think I look very much like Neil Patrick Harris. But, um, you know, it was it was kind of funny to see like, wow, I never thought that I was going to know who this person was after 25 years of well, I was 24 at the time. But after 25 years of not knowing that this this person like if I don't know they were just a figment of my imagination at that time like I had never considered oh this is a real person I wonder what dad is doing today um because I was raised by you know a single mother and she's phenomenal and I never felt like I was really missing out so it wasn't you know at the top of my list to find this guy but my half-brother then messages me and sends me a picture of him and I'm like this is so weird like what do we do and so eventually we both got into contact with our granddad who is our dad's father obviously um and he was like it could be you know one of my sons I have a couple of them I'm gonna check and see who it was and then he was like oh yeah it's definitely this one um and then we got a name I didn't like ask for his his permission to share this information so I didn't like I'm not going to name his name. Um, but he was like, yeah, you know, like, I think he wants to to talk to you. 
Um, he'll probably give you a call tomorrow. Um, he's under a lot of stress right now, so it's kind of weird timing, but he should be giving you a call tomorrow. And I was like, wow, okay. So I was at Starbucks working good old, good old Starbucks job. And I was like, I told my manager, I was like, hey, so like, long story short, I don't know my dad and he's going to call me today. And my manager was like, uh, oh, and I was like, so I'll like put off my lunch until then. But like, can I just run back here and tell you when he calls me and then take my lunch then? And she was like, yeah, dude, sure. Like, do you want to go home? And I was like, no, I need money. So I will remain here. Um, thanks for the offer, though. So I worked and worked and worked. And then I was training. I had just become a certified barista trainer. And I was training my first person that day. And so I worked through my whole shift and then like my shift shift was over and my trainee was going to come in and I was going to train them. And I was like, okay, well, I've worked like the whole day. I guess, you know, maybe he's not going to call today. I'm just going to take my break now. And so as I'm walking to my car to take my lunch break after a long, long day, um, he calls and I was like, this is so weird. And so I answered the phone and he was like, hey, you know, like. And I think that first conversation was mostly like, you know, I don't know about your your mom's side of the family, but we have great genes over here. Um, you know, some of us have lived until to be like 110 or something. And I was like, oh, OK. Oh, boy, that's pretty dope. Because I kind of figured, you know, if you're if you're donating sperm, you kind of have to have a pretty clean medical history from your family because, People pay a lot of money for um, artificial insemination. So I was like, that makes sense. And he thought that I was like, because there's a Claire Fountain out there who bought my website domain name. This is how I found her. Who's like a yogi. She's like a super famous yogi. Um, and so he thought I was her for a second. And I was like, mm. he was like, so you're a yogi. I was like, I mean, I do like yoga. Yeah. I don't know if I'm like a yogi. And he was like, oh, because I found this website of a Claire Fountain. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. That is not me. I I am not that that uh, person. And he was like, oh, okay, that makes sense because I didn't really think that she looked like me. And I was like, okay. So the first conversation we had was about that. And then, you know, um, me and Kyle – who like we're still we're still homies. He's my half brother. Um, we still like talk all the time, but me and Kyle were like, okay, this is like, should we like ask if he wants to meet us? And so I guess he happened to be coming in town, like to where Kyle lives, um, or like halfway between him and Kyle. And so um, Kyle met him like that weekend, and they like skied or something. This was like January of 2020 or February. And then we were talking about, you know, like, oh, we should all like meet up at some point. And then, of course, the pandemic happened. And so that was put on hold for a year and a half. But eventually we were like, okay, like, my mom is actually from New Jersey, where my half brother lives. And like the same town and everything, which is totally crazy. But my mom ended up connecting with his mom. And now they're like best friends and send each other memes every day, which just cracks me up. But she was like, that's crazy. Like I grew up there, so we should go visit. 
um, this summer. And so we planned a trip and we booked the tickets to go meet Kyle and my dad, who was like, I will drive down and be there and meet all of you. And I was like, oh, cool, because Kyle and him had already met um, like a year and a half ago. And we texted occasionally. We mostly bonded over alcohol um, <laughs> and like mixology, like making fun, new, crazy little drinks from time to time. Um, that was our the thing that initially bonded us together. But so that ticket is from when we flew into Philadelphia to meet my family, um, which is which is wild. And so that's that's what that ticket is from. That whole situation was kind of a mess because I I I don't know. We flew we were supposed to leave at like one in the morning to fly out to Philadelphia from DFW airport. And so we we got there, you know, at like 11:30 because they said security closed at midnight and we were like that doesn't really make sense to me. Um not sure why that would be a thing, but um but we were like okay, I guess we got to get there, you know, kind of early. Well, we didn't get there. We probably got there like way early because we we like to get places early, the fountains. And so we're we're checking our bags and the guy is like, okay, and you know that your flight has been moved to um, 3 a.m. And we were like, what? And he was like, yes. We were like, oh. And he was like, so that's it. That's that. Um, and we were like, okay, so like, um, and he was like, yeah, and you can't, once you, once you get through security, you can't like, you know, leave. Um, and security closes, you know, in less than an hour. So, and we were like, oh, so we're just, we're hanging out in the, in the DFW airport for two extra hours. Like there's no way around that. So, um, that was the, that was the beginning of it. So we're just sitting there, you know, with, 30 of our closest friends or however many people booked that flight and got to wait with us. And of course, you know, nothing is open and security isn't even there. And so we like live off of the snack machine at the time. And um, once it's 3 a.m., they're like, oh, it's actually going to be like 3.30. And then we're like, okay. And then they're like, oh, it's actually going to be 4.15. And so we're like, oh my God. Um what the hell? And then they finally come over the speaker and are like, hey, so <laughs> your flight attendants, the whole flight crew timed out. So we're going to cancel your flight and you can book a flight at 1130 a.m. And we were like, oh, my God. So they gave us like meal vouchers and you know, we didn't want to have to go all the way. Well, we did have to recheck our bags, which was a blast um, because they were like, you know, you you could supposedly if they do see the tag, then they'll just, they'll, they'll just transfer it. But we recommend you rechecking your bag. So we went through that whole situation again and um, just camped out, you know, in the airport uh, for, you know, 12 hours. It ended up being the whole time was was 12 hours. So, um 
yeah, that's how that flight went. But we finally got there, um, exhausted, obviously. And then I think our our car overheated, our rental car, um, which is weird because it's one of those fancy new electric cars, you know. And we had to wait in line for like two hours to get it because we were supposed to get there in the middle of the night. And it would have been a lot easier to get it in the middle of the night, obviously. So that was like less than ideal. Um, but once we got there, it was pretty cool. You know, we ate the the New Jersey foods, like like uh, sticky buns and what else do they have? What, are, what else are the New Jersey foods? I don't know, but it was super nice. We stayed like on the on the coast um, and it was just it was really nice. And my dad's pretty cool. Apparently, I got, you know, my sarcastic sense of humor from him, which is nice. And yeah, you know, just kind of chilled out. Um, I had a hoagie. It was delicious from the Wawa, as one does, obviously. And um, I had actually like three or four hoagies. And we were only there for like less than a week. So went a little hard on the hoagies there. Um, But yeah, so that is the story of one of the things on my corkboard here, which I think, I think that's a pretty cool story. Um, you know, a large part of me, I'm sure a lot of people have this issue, but a large part of me is like, oh, well, why would someone want to hear me talk? What do I have to talk about? But like, I love hearing people talk about stuff. I like hearing about people's lives and, you know, how they feel about different things. And I just think people are super cool, which is part of the reason why I got into acting actually um because you get to kind of live as other people and kind of get into their minds and you know figure out what makes them tick figure out why they are the way they are um I particularly like you know playing sort of villainous characters I don't I don't play them well okay of course from from my point of view as the person who played the villain I don't consider them villainous characters but they they could be considered that to outside eyes, just people with kind of like questionable motives and kind of shady vibes. Like you can't really tell like why they're doing what they're doing and what they're doing is kind of harmful and <laughs> hurtful to people around them on occasion. Um, and their methods are a little questionable, but those are my favorite characters to play. Uh, sort of a problematic fave type of character, I guess one would consider it. But um, yeah, I'm just remembering like characters that I have played. There's also a money boa, which is kind of, you know, it's exactly what it sounds like, but it's like a like a feather boa, but it's not feathers. It's fake dollar bills. And like from the dollar store, like they're jumbo $120 bills and $1 bills um, all strung together for a show that I did in 2018, which, oh my God, that's three, that's three years ago. Oh my God. Um, But it was called Honey and it was like, it was kind of trippy. It was like a movement-y piece um, and it was about, you know... One, the main character was a sex worker and um, sort of, you know, she was like not, you know, supposed to be like early 20s. You know what you think of when you think of like the young sex worker trope. 
she was, you know, not old, but more mature. And so it was kind of, you know, the struggles that she went through and she was staying in this hotel room and um, the maid was there. And so it was like women working, I guess, was the general vibe. Um, But it was centered around a sex worker. And um, I played a security guard, which was interesting. And I came in and I was like, oh, you know, like judging her and like asking why she had all this money and why she was still here and why she was staying so long and, you know, how many towels she was using and just being sketch and shady and nosy and just not (laughs) like if there was a bad guy of the show, it was me. It wasn't really like a it was it was like movement heavy. It was kind of a trippy little show. We all played multiple different characters and there were dance pieces and it was all original music and then we sang which I you know when I signed up for it I was not aware that singing was going to be a part of the um situation (laughs) which I don't I'm not terrible at singing I actually when I was in actually like from the ages of four to 18 I was certain that I was going to major in musical theater that was going to be my whole thing um I was one of the musical kids, you know, I was in choir. I loved choir. I was an alto too, um, in case you can't tell from my voice, but I got to be like at the very bottom of like the harmonies, which often was very like the most boring lines, but, (laughs) but it was, it was fun. And I really enjoyed sort of collab, like the, I don't know, like just making chords and making cool sounding music with a bunch of people is super fun. Um, But anyway, I did choir. I was in Texas Girls Choir. Yeehaw. Um, That was super intense. I was in that when I was in like third and fourth grade. So I was like I was a child and it was, you know, the Texas Girls Choir. So it was like a sort of prestigious thing and like a nationally known thing from what I remember, from what my tiny 11, 12-year-old brain could compute. Um, well, I wasn't even, I don't know, how old are you in eighth, in third grade? Like eight, right? I was young, young. I was a young in. I think I was a, I was like a soprano two, and then they moved me down to alto one, um, <laughs> which I guess isn't super relevant to the whole story, but we had like all of this I just remember it being so much pressure and we had like very specific choreography. We had all of these different costumes. Um, and like, I think I saw like this one girl's glasses were falling off her face. I had glasses as well. They were like pink wire rim, Harry Potter sort of glasses. Um, and I always wore my hair half up. So it was out of my face, but still like down ish. And I looked so goofy. But I was I was so cute. I was a cute old kid. But um, <laughs> the stakes were so high. It was so intense. And if you were like off, they yelled at you. And I'm not trying to like go on like a, a diatribe against like a like a smear campaign against Texas Girls Choir. I have no clue what it's like these days. I don't know if it's still a thing or if it's still around. I know it had been around for a long time. 
But I remember my mother spending an exorbitant amount of money that, frankly, we did not have um, because I said I loved this so much and it was super competitive and it was – I got moved up to, like, you know, the the second best choir or something and – it was just super high stakes, super high pressure um, for kind of no good reason, I guess. But um, <laughs> so all that to say, I loved choir. I still love choir. I'm sure I would love to join a choir. I'm not sure where one does that. I know that there are a bunch of church choirs. Um, I, I don't I don't know, but I was never a terrible singer. There was always somebody a little bit better than I was, or at least in my mind, I guess, and at least in the cast lists that that appeared when I did, um, you know, like children's theater or like community theaters or whatever. Um, but so that was, you know. And then my last summer before senior year of high school, I went to this like intensive musical theater camp that was supposed to be a taste of like what it would be like if I were a musical theater major or um, if I was doing professional musical theater. And I was there thinking, you know, like I'll have a couple of acting classes because the acting was always my favorite part of it. And then I'll have, you know, a couple hours of singing a day. And then like, you know, maybe like obviously there's going to be dance, but like just like chill jazzy musical theater like the fun chill kind of dance um and maybe a little bit of tap but oh my god it was so intense it was so i like i i i don't i don't know what i had envisioned but that wasn't really it um we had like one acting class and i think it was the shortest acting class of the day and of course it was my favorite because I was, that's of the three things, that's obviously the thing that I'm best at. And okay, I'll say it. I'm tired of being humble. I'm a pretty damn good actor. Like I will give myself that. I am able to connect and I am able to exist in the moment um, despite, you know, having a hard time like getting out of my head in regular day-to-day -day life. That is like a sort of escape to me, and it's just something that i've I've loved for two decades now. And um, so I was most excited about acting class, obviously, but all we did was like monologues. I don't think we even did scenes. Um, and so that was kind of, you know, sad. So I only got to do that for like forty five minutes to an hour a day, I think. And um, then we had, you know, a singing class, which was like, I think an hour and a half or something like that. Um, and there were like quite a few people in the singing class. So it wasn't like I could, like, I, I don't know. I didn't, I wasn't the first to volunteer to go either. Obviously, at some point I did have to sing in front of everyone, but it was kind of like intimidating because there were like people there that were like so talented and singing was their number one thing and they were so good at it. And I was like, I'm not bad. I mean, but they were phenomenal. And so obviously as someone who had like this inferiority complex already, I was like, oh gosh, it was kind of intimidating. 
Um, and then this was the kicker. It was like five hours. I'm sure it wasn't five full hours, but it felt like five hours of dance every day. And it was all different techniques of dance. I mean, it wasn't just, you know, five hours of the exact same class, but like we had different units. I think this was like three weeks long camp. And so like different classes would last a week and, you know, we would have guest artists come in and they seem to always be guest artists that were dance people or like Broadway dancers. And so we had, you know, obviously like a musical theater jazz class, I think every day we had a, a modern class. Um, we had Fosse was my favorite. We only had a week of Fosse though. And, um, and then we had tap. Oh my God. I had no clue that I was so, so bad at tap. I'm so bad at tap. And like, I was kind of hopeful cause it's, you know, like it's not, about like flexibility or grandiosity of like movement of your whole body. I was like, oh, cool. It's like focused on, you know, the rhythm and the tapping of your feet and just, you know, that, which it, which it is, but I was so bad. <laughs> and it was like, oh my God, never in my life. Like I'm, I knew I was like, I'm only, I was 17 at the time. I was like, I'm only 17. So, I mean, I could get better, but there is no way that I'm ever going to be as good as some of these people in this tap class. And I remember we did a tap routine to thrift shopping because that was like a huge song. And I was like, oh, you know, haha, fun, Macklemore, like we're just chilling, you know. And it was so, oh, my God. Y'all, it was so hard. It was so, so hard. That was so hard. And then the jazz classes were so hard. And then I can't remember if we had ballet, but I did ballet when I was little. And then I did dance classes when I was like in elementary school and went to this children's theater. Um, and so like I had done dance before, like this wasn't the first time that I had ever danced, but I didn't take dance classes. I went to I went to an arts magnet school through elementary and junior high. Um, I probably should have mentioned that, but I went to Fort Worth Academy of Fine Arts. Um, so shouts out FWAFA. But um, it was like an arts magnet charter school. And so I did, you know, you didn't declare like a focus until you started high school. And so I had taken dance classes for like from the time I was five because I, I took a ballet class outside of school before then from the time I was five until the time I was um, 13 or 14. So I had like danced, taken jazz and ballet and modern like very regularly throughout my time there for like years. And so like, you know, theoretically, I should have been a ahead of somebody who hadn't taken any dance classes but clearly at this musical theater camp everyone had taken a lot of dance classes far more than I had and um so it was just so <laughs> it was so sad and they would have you know Broadway dancers that had appeared in like original casts of stuff come in and 
choreograph like these huge dance numbers and you know they would have they often they would split us into three groups thank god and they'd have like beginner or like intermediate and then like the advanced groups and so I was always in beginner but I just remember so much of it being dance and dance workshops and dance classes and I was just not good at it like I'm sure like I was able to fake the confidence and I was able to understand, you know, kind of the weird awkwardness of Fosse. So I wasn't terrible at that, um, which I'm really proud of because I think that's a super cool style of dance. Um, But (laughs) everything else, I just had to look confident and smile and fake it. And I was like, just look at my face, look at my face, look what I'm doing with my upper body. Do not worry about what's going on like below my waist right now. And that's how I kind of got through. But after that, you know, I was like, I'm not, if this is anything like what musical theater programs are going to be like, which from what I have heard, because I did go to a theater program that was at a school with like a a hugely popular, super selective, state-of-the-art musical theater program. And so, of course, I had classes with them. Um, And it was a lot of dance. It was a lot of dance. And it was a lot of singing. And I was just like, I don't (laughs) – I gave up on that real quick. I was like, I do not have the energy, the mental capacity. And a lot of it is, too, like – a lot of the people that I had gone to camp with and a lot of the people that I went to school with eventually um, were in, you know, you had to take outside of school like lessons or go to like a nice high school that had a good program for that sort of stuff. And like I didn't, I just didn't have the money to take voice classes and dance classes outside of school. Um, And then in high school, I went to a public school because my arts magnet just kind of got like, I don't know, I got super depressed when I was 12 um, and like super depressed and I had a hard time like showing up to school and I was just like the counselor pulled me out of class to talk to me and she was like, you're going through it clearly. And I was like, yeah. And then um So that's when I started antidepressants, which is very young, but I was not doing well. I was not handling things well. And then that sort of led to me isolating a little bit. And then I didn't really have, you know, because it's at at that school, there were like 20 to 30 kids in my class, period. Like there were a total of, I don't know how many, not many people not many people in the entire school. And so, you know, like people made their friends and then they kind of stuck with their friends like from third through high school. And there weren't always like, since it was a selective program, there weren't always, there were only people coming in if other kids left because you had to audition. And so it was the same people and I just didn't form very close connections with anyone in my class that was you know, both due to me self-isolating and being depressed and just not vibing with the very few people that I had every class with and spent every day with. And so, um, 
Ooh, voice crack. I'm going to take a sip of water. Sorry if you could hear me gulping. That was just, that was the ASMR section of this, of this podcast. But, um, yeah, so I just wasn't vibing it anymore. And I was like, you know, because before I went to that fine arts magnet, I went to a Montessori school. So I hadn't done like the public school experience. And I was like, mom, I want to go to public school and do homecoming and do, you know, normal kid stuff. And she was like, okay. And so then I went to public school and like the first week of public school, my freshman year, I got, oh, I also had to wear a uniform in at FWAFA. So I was wearing the same thing every day. I was like, I want to figure out what my personal style is and spread my wings and learn, meet different people. And she was like, okay, whatever you want. And um, the first week of classes, a guy got kicked out of my class because he like fell asleep every day and was like drooling. And he was like, I think he was in like his junior or senior year, but he had had to take retake my history class because he had failed it a couple of times. And um, so he got pulled out of class and it was like he was like super pissed about it and like super aggressive. And I think like like I don't know, he was like throwing a binder or something. And so it was super intense. And then I got lice. I had never gotten lice before in my life. And I got lice. And I swear to God, I did so many lice treatments like over and over and they just still were there and I did everything I was supposed to do and I sprayed everything down and I washed my sheets in super hot water and all of my clothes and everything and they just like stuck around for so long. And it is so embarrassing to already have anxiety Okay, so I'm already stressed out. I'm going into a new environment that is unlike anything that I have ever been in. And I had lice. I had lice. Oh, my God. And so it was like. <laughs> so that's how public school started for me. Um, but then it was, you know, it was it was great. Um, I did theater, obviously. Um, I met different people. Um, and yeah. So that's that was my schooling experience. But all that to say, I did not I was no longer in dance classes every day, you know, and um, I was no longer in I kind of got to a point where I had to pick between choir and theater. And so I picked theater. And so I hadn't taken, you know, voice classes or. Um, outside of school acting classes or dance classes of any sort for the entirety of high school. And it, I just, you know, that camp was just kind of like, I'm not doing musical theater anymore. And shouts out to you, like more power to you if you were able to get through a musical theater program, because that sounds exhausting. <clears throat> I just had to cough a little bit. Um, but it, it was not – it could not be me. It could not be me. Not to say, obviously, my acting program was, you know, it was it was a time. Um, <laughs> I'm not here to just trash it. Um, it did have, you know, plenty of issues. You know, it was not something that I would consider a healthy environment where I felt that I could flourish um, personally. 
I know that it was that for a lot of people. And I'm really glad that so many people did have a positive experience. Um, but all that to say, acting school wasn't easy. It was exhausting. And, you know, a couple of instances, I was working two jobs at once because I couldn't afford it. And a lot of my classmates, um, especially the first couple of years, didn't have jobs at all. And so they kind of were able to spend more time like hanging out together. Um, Oh, my voice keeps cracking. I usually don't talk for this long of a time without drinking water. I drink a lot of water. I'm a bit of a an H2 ho. <laughs> um, I am my own audience. That's okay. But yeah, so acting school, it was a time. Um, I was exhausted. I was physically and emotionally drained. Obviously, you know, you wake up at 7 a.m., you go to class at 8 a.m., and you immediately have to, like, be a divorced mother whose life is falling apart, and you have to emotionally just bring that out of somewhere. I remember, and I had such a hard time, like, I don't know what it was, but like there was a disconnect between I like didn't let myself feel or connect to like the sadness of characters for a bit. I was I wasn't able to like cry on cue, um, which is kind of kooky because, you know, I've been depressed for 13 years. Sorry, I'm I'm sipping some water. Um, cause I have no clue how much time is left and you know, but, um, I totally forgot what I was talking about. Um, had to wake up early. Oh, my sophomore year, I got the seagull scene, which like, if you went to OU, you know what I'm talking about. I got Nina it was like in the classic, I think it was like classical theater or was scene study. I don't know. I think it was scene study class. No. Yes. Yes, because it was intro to acting, character study, scene study, Shakespeare. Got it. Okay. Anyway, um, it was, we did a lot of, you know, the we had a unit on like the classics and um <laughs> So there were like a set, there's like a Hedda Gabler, um, the, uh, what was, what was that? The, uh, I don't know. There was, it was, her name was like Julia and it was Julia. And then this, uh, Jean-Pierre or something. Oh my gosh. Okay, why am I getting hung up on this? But there was like a set of um, scenes that everyone did. Like every year it was kind of the same scenes and um, I felt like it kind of meant a lot which scene you were given. Um, It kind of leaned into like what your type was because, you know, if you're an actor, you know that there's – and luckily we're moving away from it. The industry is moving away from it, thank God – Thank God. I could spend this whole episode just talking about the acting industry, of course, but 
Um, this is where I'm just listening to my brain and letting it go right now. But um, I got the seagull. I got the seagull. And I was Nina. And <laughs> it was it was really fun. Um, but she's supposed to have like she's my girl is going through a crisis. She is in a crisis. She is broken. Trapleaf has like broken her tiny, her little actor heart. And she is talking about like, she, she's like, do you remember when we happened to, we were on the beach and we passed by a seagull and the seagull was like dead, I think. And like, it had been broken down. And like, <laughs> I said, like, I, I feel as though I am that seagull and um, I too am broken like the seagull. My wings are broken. And like, she's supposed to, you know, like, I think it literally said like Nina weeps or something. It was like this stage direction that was like, why would the playwright do this to me? Um, but it was like Nina begins to weep softly or something. And so like, I was like my I was not, my 19 year old brain was like, how, how am I to say? And it, it seemed like a line that was like a weird time to begin the weeping. And like, I just could not wrap my brain around it. I was unable to weep at the right time or at all during the scene. And I can't remember what my professor said, but she said something. And I think she had me like either like touch my heart or touch my like center because it was very, you know, and this is the the core. Here's, uh, I'll give y'all, you know, a little acting lesson. I think the, the core of great acting as opposed to good acting is you have to connect with your center and you have to act from your center because your center is your center it is you know critical and connecting with breath and stuff like that and I still do you know take that into my acting today but she like had me I connected with my center somehow and I was able I was able to start crying and we were you know our acting class we were still it was year two and we were still kind of like figuring it out um we were trying to learn you know like how to act well technically. And um, I remember being so proud of myself and everyone was like, wow, that was amazing. You cried. And I was like, oh, incredible. Good for me. And ever since then, I have not had any trouble whatsoever ever crying um, on, on cue because I don't know that taught, that taught me, you know, like how to do it correctly and it works so well and um that was a fun little aha moment um shouts out nina in the seagull never thought it would be you that would teach me how to do that <laughs> and so i just that was that was a very challenging scene a very a very fun ultimately but a very challenging scene um and i remember that being a moment where i i was able to grow a lot um there were a couple moments like that. It was, you know, I mean, it was acting school. There were like super cool revelations happening all the time. Um, there was a lot of weird stuff too. Um, like departures from realism was a class that I took. 
And we, I just remember like we had, I, I've tried to explain how this class was and, you know, the different exercises we did in this class to some of my like friends that I've worked at Starbucks with or just like friends that I've made along the way that didn't go to acting school with me and they just can't wrap their heads around what the what it was and I was like yeah you know we did Little Rat Rotten Hut of course as one does and then we did these like poems and then we did the scene and it was like we had to, I was, I was in, it was the balcony and it was super trippy. And then there's, you know, a trying to explain Pinter as well. You're like, it's like menacing, but like the words like aren't all necessarily, um, but it, it makes you very uncomfortable and you can't like explain that without like seeing it performed. And so it's hard. You can't, it's, it's just not explainable. People have to have to see it to understand. Um, and sometimes you still don't understand. And that's okay. But I did have a lot of fun in that class. I I wasn't sure what I was doing a lot of the time. <laughs> I really wasn't. Um, but that's okay. A lot of it is just kind of stumbling around until you find something that works for you. I kind of came to realize and accept. It was like, you know... Ultimately, I got to figure out my own stuff and I got to take, you know, what applies and what helps and what works for me and do that and not worry about stuff that doesn't make sense to me. Um, but yeah. Oh, boy. I wonder how much time I have left. I can't look at my thing. It's hard because I want to end it, you know, wrap it up nicely and not be mid-sentence, but there's nothing I can do to that, to, to, to make sure that happens. Um, I have a bat. I have a bat on my wall. A very cool bat. I got it last year for Halloween um, because I was working like, you know, a nine to five. <laughs> Claire Fountain in a nine to five. I know. Revolutionary. Truly groundbreaking information. Um, it lasted three months for me. I'm not sure if I will ever do it again, but I was like the HR recruiter. And so, you know, we, I was working from home. And so I had to set up these interviews with like all of these people, um, to get people to work there as, you know, as it, that, that makes sense. And so, um, for Halloween, I was like, oh man, like I want to, I want to have fun. And so like starting the beginning, like I think it was like the end of September or like the first day of October, I was like, well, it's Halloween now, bitches. And I made this, <laughs> I went to the dollar store and I got a couple of bats and I got some spider webbing and I got, you know, happy Halloween sign. <laughs> And I got um, glow-in-the-dark spiders, and I made this little happy Halloween thing, and I had pumpkins, and it was super cute. And so every morning for the meetings and every interview, I had, you know, my little cute little desk set up with my little thing right behind me, and they were like, aw. And so it was fun, you know. A lot of the time, if I'm, like, not super helpful at jobs, which I, I do work hard. I do work hard 
but I do, you know, if it's not something that I'm super passionate about, um, it's not going to be 100% me. But luckily, there are things that I am passionate about and able to do. But so um, my weird, chatty, weird vibe energy will still come out, but it manifests itself in like kind of useless ways. So it kind of felt like I was like the mascot for this corporate life. What was sales? So I don't know if that's, it was as close to corporate as I have ever gotten and as I ever hope to be, if I'm being honest. The nine to five work just killed me. The work itself didn't like totally suck, but like I, I just thrive in more of a, obviously more of a creative environment. Um, so that was, that part was really tough, but you know, I kind of felt that I became sort of the mascot and sort of the entertainer of the group during meetings. I would just say like kooky stuff and they appreciated it. And so, um, yeah. So yeah, that, um, that bat still remains. I love, I freaking love bats. And it's like that little vine. Y'all remember vine? Now there's TikTok. TikTok is pretty cool. People have done some cool stuff with TikTok. People do really weird, weird stuff. But people also do super helpful, informative stuff. People do um, those dance challenges. That doesn't end up on my For You page much. But it's um, that's also really creepy because they, like, know your online presence and cater it to you. And so while I do love that I only have to see content that I enjoy, um, I, it's weird that they know everything else about me. Um, not that I have like a super ton of like stuff that like is super top secret that the, the government can't know about. Um, I'm not that interesting. I'm interesting, but not in a in a in a sketchy way i i guess i i don't know i don't know but it's it's uncomfortable knowing that they're watching my search history and yeah anyway um <laughs> the algorithm you know um Oh my gosh, I feel like there was some sort of tangent that I was about to go on. Oh, I'm also staring at, I have this huge bag of scrunchies. I've recently become very into scrunchies and the the energy that they bring to my life. And so I have like, uh, like 300, I got a bag of like 300 scrunchies. And so I have a million, obviously like they're all different colors um, I've been rotating through the same four because, you know, I don't want to dump out my entire bag of scrunchies to go find a different scrunchie and I'm not too concerned with matching. I just wanted the option. I wanted the opportunity because you never know. You never know when you're going to need a scrunchie that is a certain color. I, I don't know, you guys. 
I don't know. Oh, I also have posters for Constellations and Really Really, which were my favorite two shows that I have ever done. Constellations, if you know Constellations, it goes without saying how incredible that opportunity was for me um, to be. I, I was Marianne in case, you know, it's a two-person play. So, but I was Marianne and that was the most challenging um uh, there were so many things that I had to like it, it was a little a bit of a, an acting olympics for me um but it was phenomenal and I loved it and it was really good that I trusted the other actor because that like made or would it, that's like make or break when it's a two person show oh my time is up. Okay, well, all you lovely people listening to this, um, I hope you have a cool day, and um, I hope all is well in your life, and do something today that, like, makes you happy. Okay, bye. I Am Sitting in a Room is a co-cast network and collective arts production created by Anthony Wilkinson and Rachel Bandy. Music by Raúl Rivera Pun, edited by Diego de la Espriella. All CoCast Network productions are made possible by our Patreon supporters. You can find us at patreon.com slash coarts. That's patreon.com slash c-o-a-r-t-s. If you are interested in being featured in an episode, please email co.artsproductions at gmail.com. And that's co.artsproductions at gmail.com.